0: Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Same Shit, Different Day podcast. I am your host, Sacramento, and we have a great show for you guys today um, and a a guest today on our second episode of the podcast. Um, It's been a great run so far and uh, hope to give you guys a lot more content in the future. Uh, But without further ado, let's introduce our guest.
1: So my name is Andrew. Um, When I retired, well, I medically retired from the military. Um I was a staff sergeant. I was up for my first look at sergeant first class. Um and I came in as a PV2. So they had, when you join the military, they have this what, little, what's a uh, PV2? Uh so there's a couple like there's different ranks of private, right? Um and there's like a test you can take. Um so there's like private and then private first class right then specialist it's essentially like you can you can kind of you can kind of skip um hold on one second
0: Mm
1: -hmm. we're trying to find something for you i want to get an actual i'm gonna give you the official the official name (laughs) so so when you first join right affectionately as we would call someone a fuzzy patch so if you look in the middle of someone's uniform there's like a patch where they can put their rank um on the on the uniforms and if they're an e1 which is just a private they have nothing right it's just a fuzzy patch so we just Mm -hmm. call them fuzzies and then when you—that's everybody. When you first join, that's what you're going to come in as. Now, if you have a degree, you might be able to. If you're—if you have a degree or some some kind of level of education, and you're joining as enlisted, not as an officer, you might be able to come in as like a specialist, which is an E4. So they'll bump you up a couple ranks, right? Um, they have a test you can take if you go like learn the ranks, and you can do at least 30 push-ups and sit-ups, like some entry-level stuff. Then they'll, you'll come in as like an E2, which is just one rank up. It's doesn't really make any difference. It really doesn't make your career change any more or less because there's time and grade and time and mm-hmm. service requirements for promotion. But it's just kind of, you know, it's a little thing. So rather than coming in as a fuzzy, I took a quiz, I did some push-ups, and I came in as a, a PB2, which is just an E2, first second rank of private, and then you, it's the little mosquito wings, right? So it's just the, um, mm-hmm. the inverted V. So, I mean, we'll get into... Um a little bit about how big you
0: got, uh, later on, but how big were you here? Like physical wise, the, the, like, this was nothing but a, just a simple stroll in the park for you to do a physical challenge.
1: No, man. So when I joined the military, I was actually really overweight and I, I wow. could not pass my PT test in basic training. I, I passed my PT test on the very last day possible to be able to graduate wow they like for people that have failed them they have like on family day which is like the day your family shows up they have mm-hmm. a pt test on the morning of family day at least when i went through and mm-hmm. i hadn't passed a record pt test until the morning of family day wow
0: <laughs> so well, how, how how was that like that was a lot of pressure i'm guessing and, oh man know, it, it,
1: was, it was, was terrible and so i don't know <laughs> if they do it anymore. Um, but it's just kind of like a way to, a way to motivate you. So when you're Uh in basic, when I went through, right. Which was, oh my God, 2007. Right. So a while ago, um, you get marshmallows, which is what they call the PTs. It's a sweatsuit, right? It's, it's like gray Mm -hmm. sweatpants and a, and a top, just a regular. And it just says like army on it. Right. And those are your marshmallow PTs. And then. They had PTs that we called high speeds, which were like a track suit. And it was like gray with the zip up and it has like some reflective stuff on it. And you weren't allowed to wear your high speed PTs until you passed a PT test. So when you were marching around in formation for PT, you had the marshmallows, which were like the fatties that couldn't pass a PT test. And (laughs) then you had the high speeds, which were people that already passed one. So imagine family day, literally the day of graduation. And I'm marching out to a PT test wearing the marshmallow suit with like three other fatties, you oh, know what man. I mean? And you're just like they—they—they they, they call it motivation, but really it's kind of hazing, right? But you know, yeah. it worked. It worked for me. I was like, dude, I gotta wear this. I gotta wear this other PT suit. I can't be out here looking like a marshmallow. So,
0: so, what made you join the military in the first place, then?
1: Um, you know, there's like a little bit of a family tradition of serving on my, like my both of my grandparents served my grandpa on my dad's side, British, my grandpa on my mom's side was in the army. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there was kind of a little bit of that. And then it was really just a personality thing. You know, I've always been a protector of other people and like to stand up for people. So mm-hmm. I was going to college. And I wasn't really enjoying the college life. It just, you know, Classes are a little easy. I don't really like doing homework, so I just show up and take tests. I was working it's a, a shitty bit of job, little
0: hunting uh, attitude, right? Yeah, yeah it was like...
1: just you know, I I wasn't doing I wasn't doing poorly. I just wasn't mm-hmm. enjoying it. And then you know, one day in between classes, I'm like walking to the cafeteria or something, and there's an army table there, and they're just like, "Hey, let me talk to you." So, I stopped. I talked. You know, I went and took the ASVAB well um, at that
0: point you knew just the army you didn't want to do the marines the 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 air force
1: n- nothing no no like so <laughs> so it's, it's actually funny um so I, I i thought army over anything else because that's what my grandpa was in uh-huh. um but my mom's boyfriend at the time was in the air Force not then but he had been in the air Force he was retired and he was a mechanic uh on like like c-130s and when mm-hmm. he when when he found out he was like hey man just do yourself a favor and talk to an air force recruiter.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I went to the little, you know, you go to a recruiting station, then like a strip mall. And usually it's like Marines, army, air force has all of them in a row, right? They're all side yeah. by side. Yeah, man, the, the freaking air force was out to lunch. And that should have <laughs> been my first indicator that that's who I should have went with. They yeah. actually take breaks and care the army and the Marines, man, they were in there working no lunch for you. No so, lunch. but, uh, no so, lunch. so I didn't talk to the air force. I just went into the army, You know, I talked to them, they, you know, I did a little sample ASVAB. They have like a little thing you take on a computer in there. It gives them an idea of how well you're due. And I crushed it. So there's like, uh, the guy's like, you know, you could pretty much just pick any job you want. You could take the real Mm -hmm. ASVAB. And I want to say from when I talked to that guy at school on like a Wednesday, Mm
0: -hmm. I took
1: my ASVAB on like that Saturday or Friday. It was a couple days. And I shipped in three weeks. So from when I talked wow. to the recruiter to when I left for basic was maybe 30 days. It came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. My family was like, what the, like, what just happened? Came home from and school how- one day and I was like, I'm going to have my own apartment, but I went to visit my mom. And I was like, hey, I'm dropping yeah. out of college and I'm joining the army. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When are you leaving? couple weeks. <laughs> Jesus. So. And, and how, I, how
0: was that? Because I've seen. I mean, I, we've talked about this before about how just like arriving to boot camp, we've seen those different,
1: uh, so, the I army, mean, how they did it. How did that feel for you? The whole process was a little crazy, especially with how fast I did it. So just, I mean, from going down and taking the ASVAB, my recruiter drives me down there. They're like, oh, you have four hours to take it. I finished the test in like 40 minutes. I called him. He wasn't even back to the recruiting station yet. And he's like, what do you oh, mean wow. you're done? You're going to bomb it. Ended up getting like a ninety-one or a ninety-six, something ridiculous, Jeez. right? Crushed it. So he was like, "Okay, well, you can pick whatever you want." So I picked, <laughs> I picked an Intel job, right? Uh-huh. He had no clue what it was. He's like, "It has a clearance and it's, it's Intel, it's so
0: above his clearance." I yeah. So guessing, I was like, "I'll, didn't I'll even, yeah,
1: I'll take it," you know. And it, and from there, you know, you go to you go to Meps, which is like the the, the entry processing, like the medical entry processing, right? And uh, they, they get everyone going to MEPS. You go to a hotel the night before because you got to be at MEPS at like 5 in the morning. So they take like – there's maybe like a group of 20 people. And it was Army, MEPS Air Force, Marines. It's like Military Entry Processing Station or something. Mm. Um, it's essentially Medical Expenditure Panel Survey. Okay, uh, it's, it's, it's where they take – like the intake for the Army. It's a bunch of tests. And they have you do all this stuff to make sure you could – you know, that you're prepared to pass basic, but it's not just for the army, right? Mm-hmm. So they take everyone who was going to Meps that day, they put us in this crappy little motel. Um, and it was a bunch of kids my age, 18, 19, 20 year olds, right? No one was over like 24. And it was army, air force, Marines, everything. We're all there. And they're like, hey, don't party. And then they just left. So they gave like 20 kids hotel rooms. And then bounced. So, of course, we all partied. Everybody's getting drunk. <laughs> well, no one had a car. So, one of the kids that was joining the Marines, like, br- like ran to a gas station a mile and a half down the road, bought a bunch of booze, came back. There was a pretty even number of males and females. So, we all ended up kind of, like, swapping. So, I had, like, a male in my room. It was two two beds to a room. And then, mm-hmm. like, so me and him are hanging out, right? You're, like, in your little, this is my roommate pair. And then we met <laughs> up with, like, two chicks that had their own room. And we all kind of looked at each other and was, like, you and her, me and her. And then just swapped. So- was right. fuzzy
0: still your nickname or what 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 nickname did No you no no so
1: time? so at that point I mean no one even has a rank. You're going into MEPS, right? So nothing's right. happened. So it's just a bunch of kids getting ready to join the military having one last hurrah. Okay. So everyone goes and gets drunk, a bunch of people hook up. It's a terrible plan. You wake <laughs> up early hungover and you gotta go to MEPS. And MEPS is like it's the first it's the first time you're introduced to this weird military complex thing so you go in there and they're like all right like everyone has to pee and they got this old dude that has to watch you pee to make sure that you're not like trying to fudge a drug test or something or or pass it (laughs) so like you know up the night before you're a civilian you're partying you're banging it out whatever and then all of a sudden you got this seven-year-old dude squatting in front of you watching you pee you're oh, like this God. is re-. and it's I mean it's underwear to the floor right so it's not just like a regular it's it's weird and you know it's like in a white tile bathroom it looks like an <laughs> insane asylum and then you're everyone's standing around in underwear guys and girls and they're having you do this weird shit they're like hey squat down and walk like a duck because they're testing your ankles so you got to do like this duck waddle to make sure your ankles bend a certain way because if oh, you're God. if you have bad ankles they're not going to let you in the military so it's just this <laughs> weird. An insane asylum feeling thing, where everyone's standing around in underwear, while some seven year old man has you waddle like a duck and watches you pee. It's Honestly, just putting it in a perspective awkward, like bro.
0: that, like yeah, everyone's standing in
1: line. You guys know what's gonna
0: happen. You it's, just gotta build up the courage to kind of oh, wow, that. dude. It's it's just
1: it's just weird, and that's before anything. That's to even determine if they'll let you in. You know, so. So that's right. So you do that. You make, if you make it through all that, right, you can waddle like a duck. Your pee isn't funny. You know, your, (laughs) your elbows aren't bad. They don't, you know, they ask you all these medical questions. It's like this big process. You make it through there. You get a date and time. You jump on a plane, you fly out. And then there's Mm -hmm. like the classic, you know, it's the classic shark week that you see in the movies. You know, Uh you get picked up from an airport on like a, on like a white army bus and you got all your bags and you're you're not even in basic yet like the first week or two is you're getting you're getting like issued gear and clothes and you're just treated like nothing so everyone you know Uh it's everyone goes and gets their head buzzed they all all get their hair cut everyone gets issued all their gear they're just yelling at you and screaming at you it's just this like pre-basic like treated like crap Stand in a line, nuts to butts, no one falls asleep. Wake, there's yelling at you the whole time. You're like, wow. So, so Shock Hollywood to my has, system. has really just
0: shown it how it really yeah, is. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah. It's, and it's, I'm sure it's a little different now than when I went through, but it really is. If you, I didn't do any research because I'm stupid. I didn't look up anything. I didn't go, oh, like, what's basic going to be like? I just got on a freaking plane and then got on a bus and here I am. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this, like, just. Scream that you know, you're standing in line, memorize the soldier's creed, memorize this. You should know this. Mm-hmm. You should always be ah, yelling at you. That's all of that's just to get gear, man. And you don't even go to basic yet. And then once the a class is ready and you have all your gear, you're on like one part of base for it's like the entry, right? Like you're getting in processed, and then mm-hmm. you go to they bus you over to like the basic training grounds, and that's the shark week. You're on the bus. You get off, the drill sergeants are all yelling, you're holding your bag over your head. They're like having you dump stuff out and just scream at you. And they're so, it's chaotic, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of funny thinking back as, as a now older person, I'm like, wow, like that was kind of hilarious. But when you're in it and you're like an 18 year old kid and you have no clue what you're doing, You know, you're kind of just like, wow, I might. That's like the first. You're like, I may have made a mistake. Like, I, (laughs) I don't know if I should have done this. Yeah, I I
0: mean, it's all a mental game. They're trying to break you down, right? They're trying to make you into a different,
1: a a warrior, a soldier. You know, exactly. They need to. They need to turn you into someone that can follow orders and just do as you're told without asking.
0: So, where was your first deployment?
1: Um, So the first time I left the country wasn't on deployment. I was doing like an an exercise and I went to Kuwait. Um, Oh, wow. And Kuwait is, some people will call it a deployment. Kuwait's not a deployment. And the reason I say that is I'm not trying to like sauce anybody who's been to Kuwait and they call it a deployment. But Mm -hmm. it's actually a duty station. You can get Mm -hmm. stationed in Kuwait. There is permanent residence there. So you're going to go for like two or three years. They have barracks. If someone can get stationed there, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a deployment, right? I'm mm-hmm. not even talking about the difference between like a combat deployment and non-combat deployment. I'm not a combat guy. I'm not an infantryman. I didn't do, you know what I mean? So that's not even going down that route. Just if you mm-hmm. can get stationed there, it's not a deployment. So mm-hmm. I, I was there twice on exercises. Once okay. in Egypt on exercise, and then I did technically get put on a deployment where they sent me to Kuwait, and I didn't consider it a deployment. Um, but so my first time out of the country was was at um, Camp Arab John in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. So what was life like that with
0: you know people you you knew? Was anyone there from from base camp or completely different people?
1: No. So on in, in, in basic training, there was only one other intelligence analyst. There was one other person with my job. Right. So, and I never saw that guy again after basic, um, (laughs) but it's not a common MOS. There's not a lot of us. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was a bunch of truck drivers and, you know, random support MOSs. Cause if it was, if they were infantrymen, they would have gone to like Fort Benning and they would have gone to OSIT, which is a combination of basic and their advanced training. Um, so it was just a bunch of like infantrymen, truck drivers, repair people, satellite, whatever, you know, cooks. Um, there was one other MI guy. So it's pretty separated. Um, the, the exercises were with my unit. So it would be, Mm -hmm. you know, they would take like, Oh, this company is going to go on an exercise and we're going to go set up like a sample skiff and do, we're, you know, we're like practicing as if we were going to deploy somewhere and setting up all the intelligence stuff. So you got to like, triple strand Constantino wire, make a little camp, get the truck set up that have the, you know, the, the, the access to the NSA net, all this stuff. It's kind of just like a practice run, right? Um, right. You, you do that, you do a couple, you know, a couple like drills, like practice, and you go home, maybe you're there for a couple months, right? So you do a couple of those, nothing crazy. Um, it was, it was pretty interesting though. I, you know, they, They had us in these little, like, I would call them buildings, but they weren't really buildings, you know, and it's just a bunch of bunk beds. Um, (laughs) You know, you get to sleep for a little bit, then you go back to the tent. You know, it's nothing crazy. It wasn't anything dangerous, but it's definitely kind of just like, it's, it's kind of like you see it in the movies, right? You know, it's a bunch of tents everywhere. Everybody's walking. There might be like a bus that'll take you around base. Everyone goes to the chow hall together and it's just it's almost yeah. like summer camp man i think uh, it's know.
0: like um i think i remember seeing black hawk down they had those camps uh set up yeah no i i know exactly now that you you mentioned that's right. what it was that that's that puts and, it and that's you know that's going to be
1: <laughs> that's going to be a different experience for everybody right so obviously you know if you are out on some little fob somewhere or you were in like an inf- your infantry man or you're attached to a you know an armor unit and you're out you know going you know outside the wire and you're doing combat missions and you're in these little like makeshift camps these bases someone's going to have a different experience but like mm-hmm. Camp Arifjan a lot of the big bases um Bogram, right Bath Bagram Airfield they've got a Starbucks on them man they've got McDonald's oh, wow. and Burger King like you're not you're not What's you're, you're not roughing it so the generals are eating good it's yeah it's a different <laughs> experience for everybody the generals, dude, flag officers have their own porta potties that you're not supposed to use. You know what I mean? Oh, they got wow. air conditionings in them. It's a joke. So <laughs> everybody's gonna have a different experience. But that was my first, you know, out of the country trip, and I would I would kind of relate that to like like summer camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? So
0: did the army send you anywhere else?
1: Yeah. So I went to like I said Kuwait two or three times. Um, I had one exercise in Egypt. I went on a, a deployment where I was in Jordan um, and we were on a Jordanian air base. And then that was kind of right there on the border of Syria. And we had a couple little trips into Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first, I would say like real deployment again, not a combat guy, not running combat missions, but that was the first, like, you know, I was there for over six months. Um, I was working in a tent, that we set up, we built a skiff, you know, we had armed guards, um, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. So mm-hmm. that was kind of, you know, not summer camp, but mm-hmm. also, you know, not terribly dangerous because we were on a foreign base um for a majority of it. Like I said, a few little trips into Syria, did some, did some stuff in a tent, but.
0: So at, at ever, any time that you ever feel like, something might happen where you have to, you know, potentially fight your way out of something or it was always just kind of
1: easygoing day for you. Um so not necessarily fight my way out, but when we were in Jordan and I can't go into like the methods of knowing, but we mm-hmm. found out that the there was like a rebel faction in Syria and all this stuff going on there and we knew that they knew where we were and they were like, "Hey, we've got these chemical missiles. What do you think about using them? Mm -hmm. So for like a month, the, the deputy commander of where we were was like, everyone has to have their mop gear on their person at all times. And that's the protective chemical gear. So it's like the gas mask, the hooded suit, the gloves, the boots. It's a giant bag full of shit. That's really heavy and super annoying. And for a month, they were like, we are actually under the threat of chemical attack. You must carry it with you everywhere, whether so you're working it, or not.
0: What would these chemicals, like, let's say, worst case scenario, what would these chemicals do to you if they were deployed on you? I place? mean, I,
1: I didn't ever see the threat assessment for what they actually had, what they were using. I mean, is it is it mustard gas? Is it something else? Generally speaking, any kind of, like, airborne chemical weapon is a gas that's going to make you incredibly sick melt your insides bleed out of your eyes and ears you know what i mean like all that bs you see in movies if it's a Mm -hmm. chemical weapon and it's you know it was in syria they're going to have something that's incredibly dangerous um and honestly i was i kind of hated that we had to carry the gear around because the Mm -hmm. base we were on wasn't very big okay it's not like some massive airfield where like the missile's going to strike and be a big explosion and then like there's going to be a radius where you're. There's chemical stuff, and you're going to be like, you need to have your gear on, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The area we were we were in was kind of small enough that, like, if the if they if it was attacked and there was a a, a missile or an explosion, that's probably going to kill you before the chemical <laughs> stuff does. So, like, yeah. like what's the point, you know? <laughs> I was, it, to me, honestly, and it's, uh, I'm not trying to be like tough. It was more of an inconvenience. It's a big bag. It's heavy. Yeah. It's you Plus annoying. all the stuff
0: you're already carrying. It's yeah, hot. And, you know,
1: when even, even in civilian clothes. So like I finished my work day and at the time, you know, this was, you know, later on in my career when I was incredibly jacked, powerlifting, running around, looking like a freaking NFL linebacker. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm, I gotta go to the gym in civilian clothes, I'm going to the gym three times a day. So now I'm carrying this giant bag into the gym all the time i don't i also have to carry my gym stuff i'm off work and i'm just like dude if if i'm gonna get hit let me just get hit like why do i need (laughs) if it's gonna happen let it happen this stupid you know this stupid bag of stuff and then the funniest thing and i'm not gonna tell you what unit it was because people would get in trouble so at the Mm -hmm. start of all of this they brought us all into this this building that we had right um it was like is where we do all the intel briefs it was kind of like a stadium style thing there was like like you know like a watch floor down on the bottom and a bunch of seats that came up and they brought everybody in the unit in and everyone had to bring in their gear and there was a group of sf guys out there and they're like hey we're going to teach you guys how to use your masks and make sure you know we're going to give you a refresher and so while they were doing it they were like hey everyone take off the filter on your mask and your serial number if it ends in a t raise your hand And the reason if a serial number ended in a T was bad is it was a training filter and it wouldn't actually stop anything, right? Oh, wow. And there was maybe like 180, 200 people out there and about 90 people had training filters. And there was no way they were getting that many anytime immediately. So like half of the people out there would have been screwed anyways because they didn't even have filters (laughs) in a a deployed environment. And that, that unit, they, they didn't know. They just, they didn't know that they sent out gear that had training filters. They had no idea. Oh, man. So it was like, well,
0: that's, that's the army for you, right?
1: Yeah. Dude, that's, that's <laughs> classic army, bro. The number of times I've seen dude, air gas masks with training filters. I've seen soldiers get deployed. And when I'm checking their sap, their, their plates in their, uh, in their IOTVs, they're freaking mm-hmm. training plates, dude, they're not even ballistic. They're just a weighted piece of ceramic that does nothing. And I'm like, really? Yeah, do the best go, you can. Don't go get, get shot. new plates immediately. <laughs> no, you can get new ones. But so, I would say that was like the most like. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, scared, but just the most like. Well, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Oh, you know, that's <laughs> that's awesome. And you've
0: always had that attitude that I've always. I guess you know looked at you just like you know the no like I guess that's why the army loved you you know head
1: first and you're the, just you really learn to thrive in chaos if you're gonna survive yes. in the military you have to thrive in chaos something weird's gonna happen something's gonna go wrong nothing's gonna go to plan you know and they kind of teach you what to do and how to react in those situations and a lot of the really good leaders in the army are comfortable with making a decision within the confines of what they think is right. And then they'll stand by the consequences after, um, but yeah, it was it was definitely pretty wild. Just to be like, oh, well, half of us don't even have valid gear. This is great. So were there <laughs> were there any moments that were embarrassing?
0: I guess for you,
1: embarrassing.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I've known you for a long time, and there is nothing but. There's no embarrassing moments I've ever been there with you. No, I mean... Wrong here or there, but anything that you felt like you were like, I fucked up,
1: or... Alright, so straight up embarrassing, I had a soldier that I was taking to a promotion board. And... When you when you take a soldier to a promotion board and you prep them and you train them, they're going to sit there in front of the board and you're standing in the back or you're like on the sidelines and you're and you're just like waiting and they're answering questions and they're getting quizzed and all this stuff, right? And um, this was a soldier that I had taken care of for a very long time. I made a hundred percent sure that she was ready for the board. Um, you know, I I re- like at, at at one point she was in Kuwait and I was in Jordan and I actually flew back to Kuwait the day before her board to prep her and take her to the board and then fly back to Jordan. Right. So like Mm -hmm. hopped flights to make it, to be there to support her. And one of the questions they asked her was why, you know, why you want to be an NCO and why um, you would make a good leader. Mm -hmm. And she said something like, I want to be an NCO. I want to be a uh, you know I, I want to be a leader because I want to take care of troops because I haven't had uh, a good leader in my army career yet and the whole board looked over at me and then yes. she so it was more embarrassing for her she got like red in the face and she was like no no accept him like in basic and before him like people wouldn't try and she was trying to like backpedal out of it and like she cover trying me. To bring yeah. but but I was just like sitting there and I was like I was like, man, you know, here I am f- hopping a flight from Jordan to Kuwait to come be here for you. And I'm not a good leader. No, you know what I mean? So <laughs> she she definitely didn't mean me. It was an accident. But the whole board looked at me and I like I wasn't allowed to talk. So I was uh-huh. like, uh, I just had to give him a look like, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what, you know. And then, oh, you know what? Actually, I can give you another embarrassing uh, something that completely just slipped my mind. Mm hmm. All right, so early in my career, when I was a young a young lad, um, I went out partying. I had actually just got back from one of those exercises I was on. So I was out mm-hmm. for like 60 or 90 days, no drinking, right? Um, oh, wow. While I was there, I broke up with a girl I was dating. And I came back late October, like Halloween weekend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I went out partying. I got smashed. I blacked out, apparently tried to drive my vehicle. Crashed it, got arrested, never got a DUI, but went and spent a night in jail. It was a whole big thing. Honestly, that's not the embarrassing part. That's like, look, I made a mistake. My career recovered from it. Not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Fast forward like five years, maybe. My staff sergeant promotion board, one of the first sergeants that was sitting on that board was a platoon sergeant in the unit when I got my no, what would have been a DUI, <laughs> but it wasn't. So, I actually, I, I, I was a giant white guy in the south. So, uh-huh. I'm literally, I wrecked my truck into a tree, broke oh. off the axle. I blew like 0.15, bro, like oh. double the legal <laughs> limit. I was Jeez. smashed. I'm they have a there's a video of me leaning on the front of the cop car. I'm wearing a Halloween costume, by the way.
0: No, and, what were yeah, you?
1: Spartan Warrior oh, jacked, bro. My. <laughs> nipples hanging out the whole nine and I'm just lit. And the cop asked me and I was like, dude, I'm super drunk. And then I blew like a 0.15. Right. Oh, so there's, my. there's no way I'm getting out of this. And yet I got out of it because I was a giant white dude in the South. Right. So right. I can't be mad. <laughs> but anyways, so this dude who was a platoon Sergeant in that unit is a first Sergeant on my staff Sergeant promotion board. And he goes, and and at this point, my career is recovered. It's, it's not in my records really because I didn't get a DUI. Right, I but got, it's still I, there I, I, that you, you... But so, like, if people know about it, but, like, not really, right? So yeah. I'm at my promotion board, and he was, like, the third person to ask me questions, and I honestly didn't recognize him. So I, I cr- I'm crushing the questions, nailing it, nailing it, I get to him. And he's like, well, I'm supposed to ask you about AR-670-1 and medical whatever, blah, blah, blah. But instead, um, what do you think of, like, how are you going to lead troops if your soldiers ever find out about that DUI you got? And just puts me on blast in front of everybody. And I was Yikes. like, I was and like, like you... were you just like shocked, completely he, just, bro. Stuck? I didn't, cause I didn't recognize him. So I was like, but when he started talking about it, he was like, oh yeah, you remember me from Fort Gordon? And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then he does that. And I was like, this motherfucker. And so, you know, I talked, I talked my way through it. I gave some really good answers. Um, right. You know, I was like, "Hey, soldiers are going to make mistakes too, and they're going to be more likely to listen to somebody who's lived through it than somebody who hasn't." And, then, nice. and 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 he kept drilling me and trying to be a dick. And actually, after about three or four questions of me giving really good answers, and the, the sergeant major, the president of the board, was like, "That's enough, first sergeant," and stopped him. Oh, um, I was he knew like, what he was doing. Yeah, okay. he knew he was just trying to like because the guy didn't like me, so he was just trying to get me in trouble you know what i mean Mm. so like that was kind of embarrassing because i was like not prepared for someone to dig up the path well not dig it up but just bring it up in that situation Mm -hmm. i was kind of like. i mean yeah
0: i mean you were at a moment where you were just like i got this pure professionalism and then he just hits you out of nowhere with you remember this one night (laughs) yeah you remember this
1: time like five years ago when you got fucked i was like damn that's dirty bro that's dirty I mean,
0: uh, I wanted to talk your, your ego down a little bit before I wanted to get to know you a little bit more. I mean, you've told me some stories and I've been impressed already, but were there any moments that you felt that you were just a complete badass on top of the world and,
1: you know, just enjoying life? I mean, so feeling badass, right, is there's a couple different like aspects of that. So, you know. When I was in Jordan, I was the NCOIC. I had like a $20 million hand receipt. I was in charge of multiple teams of people. And being in charge doesn't make you feel like a badass, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: m- taking care of them and making sure they didn't get like railroaded or run over or treated poorly by other people. Um, so like, that's a badass feeling, right? Knowing that your soldiers trust you and will come to you for help and guidance and they know that you're there for them that's a badass feeling, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's that like leadership side of feeling badass. Um, And then there was a couple moments where, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I was six foot two, 280 pounds, jacked. (laughs) I got steroid tested multiple times in the army. um, And there were a couple instances where just being in incredible shape, kind of like saved the day, so to speak. And that kind of feels badass, you know? Um, Stupid stuff, like. There was like a, like a beautification crew. So soldiers, they got tasked with like mowing lawns and like cleaning up the base. Got one of those riding uh, mowers stuck in a ditch. Okay,
0: that's, a, that's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's what the, the army group. calls
1: it when you're, they call it area beautification. When you're outside raking leaves, it's the way to make it sound <laughs> glorious, right? <laughs> but so there's a crew out there with a little riding mower. They got it stuck in like a little culver, like a ditch. They uh-huh. couldn't get it out. There was like three soldiers. They were just like yanking on this thing, tugging it. They couldn't figure it out. I was driving by. I just pulled over my truck, walked over, grabbed it, yoink, picked it up, set it on the grass. And they were all like, what the know? fuck? Like, like, who's who? his... like, how did he just? Okay. Because you your so... nickname,
0: if you're right, if I remember, was Hulk at this yeah, point? Yes.
1: So, so I, yeah, I, I I actually have a Hulk uh, onesie from when I was powerlifting. Um, mm-hmm. And then I had a on a, a call sign on one of my deployments. They called me Silverback One
0: silverback one that's okay yeah. i mean that so, in
1: itself is a that's a badass feeling yeah so i mean it, you know it was it was it was a good thing you know it was it was really cool i got to train a lot of soldiers i worked out a lot um mm-hmm. so there's a couple of moments where just like physical strength kind of let me do some badass things mm-hmm. um but you know honestly i think just that for me personally the most badass thing is really just the standing up for soldiers Mm -hmm. Um, on that, on that same deployment to Jordan, I've talked about, you know, there was an instance we were, so we were, we ran these Trojan trucks, the Trojan trucks, um, provide Mm -hmm. secured internet access to the NSA networks to soldiers who are deployed. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's crypto and there's all these things that go involved with it because of what it provides and there's legal requirements, right? So I was the ComSec custodian communication security. I was in charge of that crypto. And if something happened with it, I literally went to jail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were attached to a unit and we had a, you know, a skeleton crew at night that was running this truck. And you have to, at a minimum, when there's active crypto, have two people guarding it. And they were like, hey, your soldiers need to do head count at the DFAC. So for mm-hmm. like the midnight chow session, they wanted them sitting at the front door with a little clicker like they worked at Costco counting how many people ate. Right. And I was like, hey, like I told them, you know, the trucks are up and running. They're, legally, I have to have people up there. I'm not going to wake up my other guys. So we're just not going to do head count. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Like we're, we're not, we're operationally here to help you. We're not administratively attached to you. So op con, not ad con. And that mm-hmm. unit's first sergeant just kept throwing a fit and pitching a fit and going and trying to talk to the officers out there and the DCO and all these. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to do head count. I'm tired of arguing with you. So mm-hmm. the next night I told my guys, I said, Hey, Pull the crypto key, shut down the trucks, go do headcount. Mm-hmm. And there was a team of probably 35 analysts working overnight, including a CW four, um, Chief Warrant Officer 4. And so, this this isn't familiar to your to your soldiers at this point. You telling them to go. Right, no, no. And they were like, yeah, they were like, they were like, why? Like we can't leave. We have the crypto. I said, like, pull the key, pull the key, shut down the trucks, go to shaft go to headcount. And they were like, but, and I was like, just do it. Just be quiet and do it. And no matter what anybody says, don't go back up to the truck until chow's over. And they're like, okay. So they do it, right? And this is, Midnight Chow started at like 23.30. So like Mm -hmm. near midnight. And it lasted for like an hour and a half. Probably like 23.39. Like dude, 10 minutes into chow someone's pounding on the door where in the barracks room where I was sleeping and there's like 16 other dudes in there we're double bunked up nuts to butts They're, we're just crammed in there no one can move they wake up everybody <laughs> like, sergeant Harran why are the trucks down where are your soldiers what the fuck there's 35 people up there on mission with no access and I was like hey go talk to your first sergeant get out of my room what do you mean i, I told your first sergeant she wanted my people on headcount i told him if they had left they'd have to shut down the trucks cuz you this have to have all two dead on silent, crypto like, all eyes Every, are on YouTube. Wh- what? All
0: eyes are on YouTube just having this conversation. Right. So
1: there's like 15 people in the room and it's a CW4 that comes pounding on my door. And I'm like, I, I know what to tell you, chief. Go talk, to- go talk to your units first, Sergeant. It's not my fucking problem. They told me we had to do headcount. I told them what would happen if we did it. And they-, they lost their shit and said, no, I have to do it. So I had to do it. The crypto key has been pulled. The trucks are shut down. The trucks will be back up when, when Chow's over. And the guy's just losing his mind. He's like, "I've got thirty five people up there. We've got a live mission. Where did it?" I was like, "Hey, go, go talk to your first sergeant. I don't give a shit. Go wake her up." So this dude storms over to the the barracks where the female stayed, pounding on her door. She comes over to my door and she's like, "Pull your other soldiers, wake them up, and have them covered." I'm, no, I am not making someone cover an hour and a half mm-hmm. in the middle of their sleep. Go fuck yourself. No, mm-hmm. I told you what would happen. I had proof in emails. I, if you make my guys go. The trucks will be shut down. There's legal requirements for crypto. You said do it. Mission's down for an hour and a half. And so the chief at that point realizes I'm not budging. The first sergeant realizes I'm not budging. And they go get a full bird colonel who's the DCO out there. And that guy comes to my door. And I tell him exactly. uh, It's like the deputy commanding officer. Okay. And I explain everything to him. Like, hey, this is what's happening. And the guy looks at me, and he's like, go back to sleep, Sergeant Heron. And he turns to the first sergeant and was like, he told you in an advance, and just starts destroying the first sergeant in front of everybody. This is your barracks that he's having this so, conversation. So with. this was outside of my barracks room on a foreign air base mm-hmm. um, that had probably 16 soldiers sleeping in it. They literally had us in bunk beds that had just enough space. It was a bunk bed. And then a all locker. dead
0: ass quiet in there every, Everybody was,
1: every, when when they left, everyone was laughing, bro. Cause they just, but like no my whole way. thing was, you're not going to fuck my soldiers, right? I don't care if I'm just, at the, at the time when I was doing that, I was an E5. I don't care if you're mm-hmm. a CW4. I don't care if you're a fucking e, E8. I don't care if you're a fucking 06. You're not going to fuck my soldiers. And there's nothing you can do about it. Cause I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. I'm operationally attached to you. I'm the highest-ranking person in my unit. I told you that was going to happen. You didn't care, and now you're upset at the consequences that I told you in advance would happen. Deal with mm-hmm. it. And so, what, what was the, what was the conversation outside that you guys heard? Oh, the, the the DCO was just screaming at the first sergeant. You know, like because I had proof that I told her exactly what was going to happen, and mm-hmm. it, so what ended up happening as of that is they finally realized and understood and agreed, because this wasn't the first instance with them, that we were operationally attached to them and they had no control over me or my people. I could do whatever (laughs) I wanted at that point because for a while they were like, oh, you guys have to come do PT with us to make sure you're working out. No, Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not administratively attached to you. You don't do our PT tests. You don't, I don't have to go to your formations. I don't have to do anything for you. I am solely the person in charge of everybody out here in my unit they are here under my watch and and I had made sure of this with my unit back at for, in Georgia that mm-hmm. that was the that was what was happening and I was backed by my commander 100%. It helped that my commander and myself were Jim Bros. we worked out together. Mm-hmm. Um so I had I had 100% backing from my unit and I knew I was in the right and so regardless of rank I just got the shit on people. Right. And it was great. And that felt pretty badass because it was a mixture of like sticking it to the man and taking care of my soldiers at the same time.
0: Right. And you guys, I mean, it's all one, you said one camp site. Um, so you guys still saw each other. Every day. <laughs> every
1: every, every day.
0: day. Oh my God.
1: Well, At one point, to... at one point they tried to do a VTC, a video teleconference, back to my unit to tell on me, to my commander. And He, I heard... he didn't
0: want to let it go? He, no, he wanted more I, of you? Oh, I.
1: And my, I had informed my commander of everything that's going on. So he sat there and he listened and he listened and he waited and he listened and he let the guy finish. And he's like, Sergeant Heron's doing exactly what I told him to do. He's in the right and you're wrong. Don't fucking call me again. And then hung up the VTC. Oh my. And I just looked at the guy and I was like, anything else <laughs> get out of my tent. And cause they were in like my, my tents that had the VTC system. And I was like, you can go now. So, and, and, um, I wanted to see if we can bring up this
0: story as well because all of this is is the same guy with
1: the AC uh, story. Yes, yes. So that same chief, that's the same guy. This motherfucker. I don't remember his name. <laughs> if I remembered it, I'd tell you. So in so it, so we we ran the, the the trucks right. The satcom team. Right. We ran the trucks yes. that provided the internet, and we also had because the tents were on my hand receipt. We had the generators that run an AC right, mm-hmm. and so we're in the desert. It's fucking hot. And the generators aren't, that's not the best equipment because it's the army. And if you turned them down too low, they would freeze over and, and turn to ice, right? Like literally freeze. And then you would have, they'd have to thaw for like 45 minutes and you'd have to like bang on them with a wrench to get them to restart. Mm -hmm. So we were like, Hey, don't touch the equipment. It's our unit's equipment. We know about it. We know its limitations. Don't touch the equipment. And this dude, he was kind of, he was kind of overweight, you know, he's kind of a, kind of a fat greasy fuck. So it's ten o'clock in the morning. It's getting hot. He comes up and just cranks the AC down on a, on a couple of the ACs.
0: Is this like um, midsummer?
1: Like, w- yeah, what we were now? we were there in like August, bro. Oh man! And so he comes in, cranks the ACs down. Inevitably, they freeze, and then so. When they froze, they would kind of, sort of halfway work, and they would like they would put out like eighty degree air instead of seventy degree air. This dude cranked it down to like sixty, so we just turned off everything,
0: mm-hmm. turned
1: off the generators, turned off the ACs, and he came, and, and we he came storming up, and because he kind of had to like walk around our little base, our little tent, right. And when he walked around, we had put up signs in like in um, slide protectors that said like This is why you don't touch the equipment," and mm-hmm. had them unplugged completely disconnected not turned on and there's so many computers and all the intel equipment in the tent that they're starting to overheat the laptops are crashing printers are shutting down like everything's going haywire and we just we shut it all down and the guy came up just losing his mind and we're like hey chief uh, <laughs> hey chief, i'm pretty sure we told you this is what would happen when you touch our shit and you touched yeah. our shit and he's like turn it back on dude no we don't want to damage our equipment, so we're gonna let it defrost fully and when we're ready, we'll turn it back on mm-hmm. and he just same guy just losing his mind, just angry at it and we're like, what do you want us to do man? It's the equipment you damage the equipment like mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you know so we had numerous run-ins with that guy to to be fair, we did get on his nerves on purpose a lot. Um, so like I said, <laughs> he was he was kind of a fat greasy. Um, pudgy yeah. human. Um, uh-huh. And when he had a, he had a specific gait when he walked, he looked kind of like a penguin. Oh and it was goodness. really obvious who it was from very far away, even if you couldn't see his name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So at the time, and I swear to you, I think they changed the regulation because of us, me and one of my soldiers. We looked it up and the regulation for like saluting an officer says six paces or, when you recognize who they are. Now, if you go look, it just says six paces. I'm not even <laughs> kidding you. So we would, we would the the camp we were in, it was kind of like in this rock quarry. And at the top of the hill above the quarry is where we you had to walk up the hill, then go down into the quarry. That's where our tents were. And then our the barracks we were staying at was at the bottom of the hill. So we would see this dude from like 200 <laughs> yards away oh and be like, good afternoon, chief, and hold the salute the whole time. <laughs> And, and at one point he was like, gee, it's six paces. And we were like, nay chief, it is six paces or when you recognize the officer. And he's like, how could you recognize me from 200 yards away? And at this point, right, we've already been, we've been at each other three or four times. We're ha- I was like, cause you waddle like a penguin and just held the salute walking no. by. Yeah, <laughs> dude, just like. Because, and let me, dude, let me tell you, let me tell you a story about how fat this, you want to talk about how fat this guy was? I mean, he, he brought a tough box with him. So like you get to bring a, a box of gear. Oh, a big, a, a, big uh, a big, a big, a big tough box, right? A big plastic okay. box full of gear. Mm-hmm. He, his had 60, 12 packs of Dr. Pepper in it. No. The only thing he Bro. brought in his tough box was Dr. Pepper because Are you kidding he me? liked it so much. Yeah. He brought. He was literally drinking like eight sodas a day while deployed. We would go on mail. and okay, let me tell you. We had to, when we went and picked up mail, we had to drive through Saddam Hussein's hometown. It was mm-hmm. this shitty little village where, like, we weren't even allowed to wear uniforms. We had to get dressed in civilian clothes and rent these like local little shanty buses to like try to hide, sneaking through this village because of how dangerous it was. What? This dude would go, uh, and because it, it was the mail was on this marine base that, like that was hella far away. This dude would go every ten days that we did a mail run, because the Marine base had an fees trailer that would have Dr Pepper. So he was literally like wow. risking his life driving through Saddam Hussein's home village to try to get a couple twelve packs of Dr Pepper. So fat this greasy fuck was. So Damn. yeah, wow. Well, Which that's... explains why he wanted the AC, but the man guy. must have been
0: sweating.
1: <laughs> yeah he was he was sweating the 23 flavors and ingredients that's what he was sweating
0: <laughs> well i mean uh, speak that you sp- spoke a little bit about sudan hussein was there any moments like that that you actually ever feared for your life or was that you know the only no instance? i mean I,
1: I went on a couple of the mail runs man it really wasn't too crazy mail um, runs what is that like you just well we well, would pick go pick so we we were literally going to pick up mail because so it all picking went to this up mail base. was like
0: was <laughs> we were like, we were
1: in civilian clothes like renting vehicles you know like it was it was it, I wouldn't say it was like fear for your life dangerous but it was definitely like you're on guard. You know there was there was like shades on all the windows and we weren't supposed to we like we hired a local to drive us you know we weren't supposed to be seen in that area so it was kind How of did, that's Kind of dicey, but yeah, that's da- kind of dicey. Da- that's not way. dangerous, you know. I mean,
0: if that was me, that would feel pretty <laughs> dangerous. I mean, because you've you've been there how long? This is how long into your career? I guess. Oh, uh, that was probably six or seven years in. Okay. And how long was it that your whole career?
1: Uh, I mean, ten years. You're
0: still? A- are you still considered active? Or? No, 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 no.
1: I got I got medically retired because I got injured, so I'm. I was, I was done in 10 years and I never had to do the inactive reserve or any of that. So
0: can, can you go into your injury? How did you, this is uh, on military. I'm guessing you got, um, you know, injured on, on base or what happened?
1: Uh, So I was actually at one point um, we, we had started this like team where we were doing powerlifting competitions um, and we were doing this thing where we were trying to do a powerlifting competition And a marathon within two weeks of each other. Um, So my career ending injury was a back injury that had to do with powerlifting, actually. But because Mm -hmm. it was on an army team, it was considered, you know, it's service connected. So that was like the career ending. Um, I crushed three vertebrae. I have nerve damage, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was at one point I had thought like, oh, I'm going to be a badass. And I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to special forces selection. And so I was Mm -hmm. training, I was training for that when I was like a younger soldier. And I, I I tore my labrum in my shoulder and had shoulder surgery. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, I was like on a deployment when I was like hucking around equipment in the back of a trailer, I slipped off the trailer carrying equipment and like had shoulder surgery on my other surgery. You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. I've had numerous shoulder, like, like shoulder surgeries, numerous injuries, um, some bad foot problems from like heavy ruck marches. Um, I jacked up my collarbone they have this like training thing for like t- vehicle rollovers and i like jacked up my collarbone you know doing one of those so cr- tons of injuries but the career ending you know end all be all was actually like on this this power team that we were training for um mm-hmm. and So just, would you say that that would be your biggest regret is your your physical injuries or is it something else that No it's okay. if if i could go back hey okay, so i was i was Bodybuilding before I got introduced to powerlifting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was pretty. I was pretty muscle, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would rather be pretty and not injured than be strong. I don't care what anyone says. Dude, mm-hmm. it's cool to be like, I could lift, I could deadlift 800 pounds. I could bench press 500 pounds. If Van ever rolls over, I could pick that shit. That's great, dude. Be strong if you want to be strong. <laughs> but being strong got me injured. And it's my own fault. I, you know what I mean? I didn't do the right things. But if, mm-hmm. if I could change one thing about my entire career, I would have just never started powerlifting. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I was already strong. When I was bodybuilding, it's not like I was weak. You know, I was benching 405. I would squat 500 pounds. But, like, I, just, I was strong, but I wasn't powerlifting strong. And there's a very big difference. Mm-hmm. And I would have just never powerlifted. Wouldn't that's, do it. That's, that's I would. <laughs> it's just not, not worth. Not for it. me
0: as well. I'll say that. It's that's not. Just...
1: It's not worth the central nervous system damage and joints and everything else you do. You know what I mean? I mean, so. I'm pretty sure
0: you feel it nowadays, right? Oh yeah,
1: I'm a wreck. Well, I mean, is there any
0: war stories that you feel that you're you're able to tell?
1: So, I mean, like I said, I was an intelligence analyst. The way that works, the army has like a uh, an agreement with the intelligence community where people in our MOS kind of get like, we're like on loan to mm-hmm. the NSA or whoever, right? Whoever we're working for. Um, and I wouldn't say it's a war story in terms of like, I did anything, you know, like war E, but mm-hmm. I would say like the coolest thing that I enjoyed about that career as an analyst um, was early on in my career. So earlier on in the Iraq, Afghanistan conflict, I was doing targeting. So I was building target packages on, you know, different levels of targets, different priorities, Mm -hmm. and using methods which cannot be discussed, kind of like tracking them, understanding what their daily habits and activities were and where they went and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And, you know, when you would put together a really good packet, you would send it to people and then they would go do something about it. And then at one point, one point in my career, the guy that I was sending those packets to um, who would decide whether or not they were getting actioned when the when they were actioned, he would send back like a report to me and be like, this mm-hmm. is what you helped us do. This is oh, this is what we found. This is what we you stopped. This is, you know, your intelligence was good. So that was just super rewarding and cool to know that it was like that kind of direct effect, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I did something that took a a cache of explosives out of the -hmm. battlefield, right? I've saved Mm -hmm. countless lives.
0: Right.
1: And later on in my career, that process changed drastically. So earlier on in my career, when I was doing it, it was kind of like the wild West out there, man. I would do, I would do up a package. I'd send it to a guy and he, he'd be like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to action this. Let's go yeehaw right he'd write out later on in my career you would do a package you'd send it to this approving authority it would have to go to like a general who would review the intel and by the time it got down to like a battlefield commander it would be like 30 days old and then maybe the Mm -hmm. intel's not good anymore maybe it is or or you would hand it off to somebody and then they would you know what i mean so it just became this Mm -hmm. like the red tape the bureaucracy of it all Mm -hmm. towards the end but in the beginning dude we were just like, tra- Like the guy would be like, here's the person I'm interested in. What can you tell me? And then I'd tell him stuff know. and he'd be like, let's ride. So that the was beginning super was, cool. The
0: beginning was like early 2000s and when, you
1: know, so, 9-11. No, so I mean, I I was doing that stuff in like 2007, 2008. So mm-hmm. not like really early in the conflict, but mm-hmm. still early enough that the bureaucracy hadn't taken over of it. You know, it was still like mm-hmm. what was considered like active war. Mm-hmm. um so it it just and you know by the end so that was you know 2008 and by like 2014 there was a huge change in like oh, the you know how how everything went down so i would say that was probably just like for me that part of it was the most rewarding out of my entire career because i got to see mm-hmm. firsthand and know that the work I was doing was saving soldiers lives and saving civilian lives and Mm -hmm. like on the battlefield. So that was dope. Mm -hmm. That was like, all right, I'm having a good time.
0: So, I mean, that was the purpose of your position, right? That was what it was built, right? The whole NSA that, that was, you know, the whole dream of it. Now, of course, speaking of that, there was other things going on at hand and, um, there was a certain someone
1: that spoke up about that. And oh, that how of... was
0: that? How was so, that?
1: So when, when all that went down, that was at NSA Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 the cryptologic center there, Um, it's called, it's called Rochefort, which is NSA Hawaii. I mean, you, it's Google, you can Google NSA Hawaii and it's going to pop up. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's not like a, that's not a secret. Um. It's in Wahiwa, right? And man, did things change there. You mm-hmm. used to, we used to there's a gym there on site, and we they'd let us like bring in burn CDs and we'd like listen to music while we we're working out. And mm-hmm. like, you know, you could have like people would wear like their fitness trackers, like their Fitbits and stuff. And then when all that stuff went down with good old Snowden, man. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get a bag in there without being searched. CD, they were just burnt. Like, you'd come in with a CD, they would just shred that shit right in front of you. It didn't matter. Every time you entered and left, there was no watches, no anything that transmitted, nothing that Mm -hmm. could have a USB port. They just... He ruined just daily life.
0: (laughs) Right. Not counting all the
1: other stuff. Just daily life for people Mm -hmm. was trash because of that guy. So I
0: mean, it's it's there's always good and bad things you know in those stories and in your personal opinion if you can say do you think it it was a good thing for people to know that or do you think continuing now to 2020 us not knowing um
1: how how would you feel about that so here's here's my here's my take on it right anyone who is in those positions in the position i was in you signed an agreement saying that you're not going to disclose anything mm hmm Um, there, there are, and there's a lot of things that like you, you don't get to see the bigger picture of, you don't know what it, what it actually means. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's against the law to target us persons. We're not allowed to do that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's, it's against the rules. So like, it's kind of this, this funny workaround. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, but the ultimate end all be all of it is it's there to keep americans safe
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i would say what he did while it it sounds noble and oh they're doing this and they're doing this and what they're doing technically is it's not illegal it's not everything is set up in a way that protects americans rights no one's out there just listening to everyone's stuff so because you gave
0: us a clear example of how you did save lives, you know, Right. they, they reported back to you what you did and that did make a difference. And well, so I
1: think, I think the issue is, and, and one of the things that like was that he talked about, right. Is what's considered. So imagine communications, right. Cell phones, whatever, metadata, text messages, they're all put out there into the, into the, into the cloud, we'll say. Right. So, All of that stuff gets soaked up and kind of just gets stored somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? That's how it works. No one's allowed to go in and listen to it or look at it or view it where it's soaked up and stored. That's illegal. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So what he kind of did was like scare people into being like, everything's being collected. They could do this but they can't it's not allowed it's not the way it works so he kind of like and there's always going to be like i said it's the wild west right Mm -hmm. so what i was doing in 2007 wouldn't be allowed in 2012 right Right. that difference in time so i don't know i think what he did was violate a, a an agreement that he said he wouldn't talk about I Mm -hmm. think he twisted a lot of the things that were happening to make it seem like it's worse than it was. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and be like, everything the government does is perfect and no one does anything wrong, right? Because, dude, people bend the rules, people break the rules, people push boundaries, all kinds of stuff. But you know what there is for that? Congressional hearings Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and committees and oversight committees and committees that oversee the committees that have oversight on the other committees. And I think those people that are cleared and have Americans interests at heart should be the ones making that decision on what gets released and what doesn't right now. I it mean, may if, not, if, go ahead. Well, it may not come out right away. Right. So mm-hmm. I think, I think the big thing is, and I'm not saying there's anything dude. whistle by all means. If you're, a, if you're a quote unquote, like whistleblower, like a real whistleblower and there's something bad happening and you want to get it to light because it's so terrible and bad. Do it, man. There's nothing wrong with standing up for what's right and doing it, okay? Mm-hmm. But there's a bigger picture involved where that kind of stuff that he put out wasn't like, oh my god, if I don't put this out, American lives are at risk. I would mm-hmm. say the stuff he put out put American lives at risk, and right. because, and, and <clears throat> if it were truly bad and they were breaking rules and XYZ, whatever, it would have an oversight committee there's it would have been eventually and if it were bad enough that people needed to know about it it would come out would it have come out right then no would it come out five or ten years later probably right mm-hmm. so i think you have to let those people and those committees do what they're designed to do unless it, it unless the whistleblowing is going to directly save american lives i don't i don't think he should do it
0: no i hear you because a person is smart people are stupid And we see that a lot in America. You cause panic and you just see what it does and it just really gets people going and anger and riots and all those things instill. But uh, yeah, you made a lot of valid points there. And what what would you say if you think he could come back to the United States or should he still be? If
1: he comes back to the United States, he should go to jail. Mm -hmm. Because no matter no matter like what he violated an agreement and I don't, I don't just feel that about him specifically. Right. I, you know, I'm not like a blue lives matter. K Kona fucking always support the law. Right. The law is not always on the right side. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think there are certain things like that where if you clearly break and violate a law, you should have to pay for it, you know? Um, And that's not, that's not, Hard to to grasp. I think. No, I you think he
0: he 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 understands it. That's why he doesn't want to come back. He knows <laughs> what he did was wrong. Um, but he 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 felt something in him to say something. But that's also probably why he's not coming back because of. You know, I mean, he's he's heard around the world because of what he did. Um, but some things, um, also that, um, the government has now put into light is some some aliens. Now, with you in your position for so long, is there anything that you you feel that you're allowed to say about um, so unidentified phenomenons?
1: I never worked in any type of mission that would have had anything to do with that. I worked um, ground missions that covered Iraq and Afghanistan, and I worked, towards the end of my career, stuff in the Pacific area of command, which had to do, like, with Chinese nuclear submarines. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do space stuff. So, I, I mean, have I heard things about unidentified stuff? Sure have. Do I personally believe that there are unidentified things, technology, that we don't know about? I sure do. And the government's come out multiple times and been like, we don't know what that is, right? They're, they're starting <laughs> right. to let that loose. You know what I mean? So... It, do I think it's a thing? Absolutely. Do I have any firsthand experience with it? I don't. Let's see where we can go. And then, um,
0: <clears throat> how was life after the military now? Do you, do you enjoy it? I'm, I mean, from the likes from, from, from my point of standpoint, you sound like you are having a great time.
1: I, you know, I wanted to do 20 and retire, but I'm, I'm okay uh. with what happened to me. Um, I think I adapted rather well to being a civilian again, Um, you know, obviously my injury kind of played a part in when I got out. Um, and there's a lot of people dealing with a lot more serious stuff than me. You know, I've got a few physical issues, a few minor mental issues, but you know, I don't have any crazy PTSD. I wasn't blown up. I don't have any TBI. So, you know, I would say that for, for a lot of veterans, it's harder to adjust that have some more serious issues than me. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of a thriving chaos go with the flow kind of guy. So I think I'm going to adjust to whatever I do. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'm enjoying being out because there are some things about the military that are just stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of BS. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of weird things, you know, that, that probably aren't for everybody. Like not, I've, I've chaptered a couple people out of the army. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not that they were a bad person It's that they were a bad soldier. So being a soldier is not for everyone, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you're not a good person, you know, because there are a lot of, a lot of things with the military that just don't vibe with a lot of people. All of that being said though, I really truly appreciate the army, everything it did for me, what it did for my character and development as a person, the friends I made, and I would do it again. If I could go back in time and be like, should I sign this or shouldn't I, I'd sign it again. And I I think if you do more research than I did and you go into it knowing what to expect a little bit and so you can prepare for that. Um, I think the, the military, whatever it is, army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, personally, if I could do it again, I'd honestly join the Coast Guard. But um, <laughs> I think... If that's something you feel you want to do, you know there are a lot of good benefits that come with it. There's the GI Bill. There's tuition assistance. There's the training you get, the camaraderie, the friends you have for life. I, I think it's worth it, and anyone who's interested should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they should check out the Coast Guard for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if there's anything that you would tell younger Andrew,
1: it would be to join the Coast Guard? Join the Coast Guard, 100%. Here's the thing. All right, listen. What's what's the first word in Coast Guard? Coast. Coast, yeah. You know what that means? Every Coast Guard base is on the freaking beach, man. Oh, man.
0: Like, okay, so you're making some good points.
1: Listen, and everyone gets paid the same. Like, there's incentive pay, and oh, if you're airborne, you get like an extra $86. Great. But if you're like a special forces friggin' super commando ninja assassin, but you're an E six you're getting paid as the same e six that's a cook man so all this
0: like, all this bad talk about the Coast Guard usually comes from someone that's been in the military like Army no movies.
1: dude there's no bad talk about the coast guard people people trash talk the Air Force and call it the chair force and the, the main reason they do that is because they're jealous because the Air Force has nice stuff, bro mm-hmm. we had air Force people that were quote-unquote deployed to Fort Gordon, Georgia. They were deployed, um, air quotes here that you can't see, to an Army base. And you know <laughs> what they got while they were there? They were. It was at the NSA site there. And you know what they, while they were there, they received an incentive pay for substandard living. I'm not even kidding you. So the Air Force rented them these like, corporate condos fully furnished luxury condos off base then gave them a substandard living allowance because they had to eat on an army base they were wow. like the army base is so ghetto that we're gonna pay you extra money right so <laughs> people in the army and the marines like to talk shit about the air force because the air force has everything better and mm-hmm. I've I've been I make fun of all the branches, dude. Marines are crayon eaters. the chair force are giant pussies. They're really not, but you know you, you just you, you, it's what you do. It's, it's all a yeah. brotherhood. everyone makes fun of each other. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone make fun of the Coast Guard because most people probably don't even know the Coast Guard exists. They probably don't even know that the Coast Guard is a Department of Defense like entity you know no no they probably just think it's like the they, police they probably yeah they probably just think it's like a state thing like or it's no dude the coast guard is the way to go man go go join the coast guard get stationed on the beach hang out on a boat all day i i met a coast guard guy in hawaii mm-hmm. for the first 8 years of his career in the coast guard he was stationed in florida you know what he did mm. he drove around not drove he rode he wasn't the captain he mm-hmm. rode around on a Coast Guard boat that patrolled the border and shot drug submarines, like the unmanned submarines, out of oh, the water nice. with a 50 cal machine gun. This dude's that job was to like play fun. duck hunt all day. He'd just up on a 50 cal, they would detect the little submarines full of drugs, and he would blast them out of the water. That was that yeah. guy's job. <laughs> for so, eight so, so years thinking about
0: it yeah no you got miami is a huge uh drug trade where they just go in from that so i mean now that you said that just thinking about it, the coast
1: guard would be stationed up there pretty the co- well dude the coast guard there's coast guard bases along the entire coast of the country there's coast guard bases in seattle there's coast guard base, or in washington they're in california they're in florida they're they're the coast guard they guard the coast they're all along the coast man (laughs) they're southern you know texas down in the gulf of mexico east and west there's a coast guard station in hawaii i don't know dude hawaii is is militaried up i mean it kind of has to be based on its proximity to the east right but Mm -hmm. you know there's everywhere the coast guard is is on the ocean Mm -hmm. and the ocean is beautiful So,
0: so are you in the military? Done? You know, it's just now. It's just retirement from them.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I wouldn't go. I mean, they wouldn't take me back because I got you know fat and old. (laughs) Um, but I, I I support the military. You know, I would do something with the military in terms of Mm -hmm. like as a veteran. You know, I'm a member of a veteran, um, like nonprofit. We, I do stuff to help veterans. Still, I would do stuff active on a base to help active duty. One of the mm-hmm. jobs I had when I got out of the army was actually working for a program on a base out here in San Antonio. So I, I, I support and appreciate everything the, the military did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't go back if they'd take me and they wouldn't take me. So <laughs>
0: they wouldn't take you either. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm ready chief. Now. Nah, you gotta be honest with there. yourself. <laughs> Well I mean that's that's it really for I had for you buddy. That's I mean I felt like I've known you I've got to know you a lot better now. I mean we've only known each other through work so you know just taking the step out of that and just to getting to know you as a better friend and uh about your past is uh really interesting. Um Yeah, I appreciate the invite, man. I always call you the wizard because how <laughs> you are freaking tech savvy um and uh yeah, man it's just been
1: a it's been a pleasure talking with you today about this and i mean I, I appreciate the invite and talking to you and it's uh it's good to hear what you have to say and what you have to think and hopefully uh we'll get some time to hang out somewhere in the future
0: well that about wraps it up for today's show thank you again for everyone who listened this long thank you again for andrew for coming on to the show and um This has been the Same Shit, Different Day Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll catch you all in the next one.